0: Section 13 of The Underground Railroad, Part 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by L. D. Hamilton. The Underground Railroad, Part 2, by William Still. Section 13 fleeing girl of fifteen in male attire part two great was the anxiety felt in washington it is certainly not too much to say that an equal amount of anxiety existed in philadelphia respecting the safety of the merchandise at this juncture mr bigelow had come to the conclusion that it was no longer safe to write over his own name but that he would do well to henceforth adopt the name of the renowned quaker william penn he was worthy of it as in the case of the following letter washington d c november tenth eighteen fifty five dear sir dr t presented my card last night about half past eight which i instantly recognized i however soon became suspicious and afterwards confounded, to find the doctor using your name and the well-known names of Mr. McKay and Mr. W., and yet neither he nor I could conjecture the object of his visit. The doctor is agreeable and sensible, and doubtless a true-hearted man. He seemed to see the whole matter as I did, and was embarrassed. He had nothing to propose, no information to give of the P-boy, or of any substitute, and seemed to want no particular information from me concerning my anxieties and perils, though I stated them to him, but found him as powerless as myself to give me relief. I had an agreeable interview with the doctor till after ten, when he left, "'intending to take the cars at six, as I suppose he did do this morning. "'This morning after eight, I got your letter of the ninth, "'but it gives me but little enlightenment or satisfaction. "'You simply say that the doctor is a true man, which I cannot doubt, "'that you thought it best we should have an interview, "'and that you supposed I would meet the expenses.' you informed me also that the p-boy left for richmond on friday the second to be gone the length of time named in your last i must infer that to be ten days though in your last you assured me that the p-boy would certainly start for this place not richmond in two or three days though the difficulty about freight might cause the delay and the whole enterprise might not be accomplished under ten days, etc., etc. That time having elapsed, and I having agreed to an extra fifty dollars to ensure promptness, I have scarcely left my office since, except for my hasty meals, awaiting his arrival. You now inform me he has gone to Richmond, to be gone ten days, which will expire to-morrow." but you do not say he will return here, or to Phila, or where, at the expiration of that time, and Dr. T could tell me nothing, whatever, about him. Had he been able to tell me that this best plan, which I have so long rested upon, would fail, or was abandoned, I could then understand it. But he says no such thing, and you say, as you have twice before said, ten days more now my dear sir after this recapitulation can you not see that i have reason for great embarrassment i have given assurances both here and in new york founded on your assurances to me and caused my friends in the latter place great anxiety so much that i have had no way to explain my own letters but by sending your last two to mr tappan i cannot doubt i do not but that you wish to help me and the cause too for which both of us have made many and large sacrifices with no hope of reward in this world if in this case i have been very urgent since september dr t can give you some of my reasons they have not been selfish the whole matter is in a nutshell. Can I, in your opinion, depend on the pea boy and when? If he promises to come here next trip, will he come, or go to Richmond? This I think is the best way. Can I depend on it? Dr. T promised to write me some explanation and give some advice, and at first I thought to await his letter but on second thought, concluded to tell you how I feel, as I have done. Will you answer my questions with some explicitness and without delay? I forgot to inquire of Dr. T., who is the head of your Vigilance Committee, whom I may address concerning other and further operations. Yours very truly, William Penn. P.S., I ought to say that I have no doubt but there were good reasons for the P-Boys going to Richmond instead of W. But what can they be? Whilst there are a score of other interesting letters bearing on this case, the above must suffice to give at least an idea of the perplexities and dangers attending its early history. Having accomplished this end, a more encouraging and pleasant phase of the transaction may now be introduced. Here the difficulties, at least very many of them, vanish, yet in one respect the danger became most imminent. The following letter shows that the girl had been successfully rescued from her master, and that a reward of $500 had been offered for her. Washington, D.C., october twelfth eighteen fifty-five mr william still as you pick up all the news that is stirring i contribute a few scraps to your stock going to show that the poor slaveholders have their troubles as well as other people four heavy losses on one small scrap cut from a single number of the sun how vexatious how provoking On the other hand, think of the poor, timid, breathless, flying child of fifteen. Five hundred dollars reward! Oh, for a succor! To whom in all this wide land of freedom shall she flee and find safety? Alas, alas! The law points to no one. Is she still running with bleeding feet? Footnote at the time this letter was written, she was then under Mr. B.'s protection in Washington, and had to be so kept for six weeks. His question, therefore, is she still running with bleeding feet, etc., was simply a precautionary step to blind any who might perchance investigate the matter. Or hide she in some cold cave to rest and starve five hundred dollars reward yours for the weak and the poor perish the reward jb having thus succeeded in getting possession of and secreting this fleeing child of fifteen as best they could in washington all concerned were compelled to possess their souls in patience until the storm had passed meanwhile the child of fifteen was christened joe wright and dressed in male attire to prepare for travelling as a lad as no opportunity had hitherto presented itself whereby to prepare the package for shipment from washington neither the powder boy nor dr t was prepared to attend to the removal at this critical moment footnote dr t was one of the professional gentlemen alluded to above who had expressed a willingness to act as an agent in the matter End footnote. the emergency of the case however cried loudly for aid the other professional gentleman dr h was now appealed to but his engagements in the college forbade his absence before about Thanksgiving Day, which was then six weeks off. This fact was communicated to Washington, and it being the only resource left, the time named was necessarily acquiesced in. In the interim, Jo was to perfect herself in the art of wearing pantaloons and all other male rig. Soon the days and weeks slid by, although at first the time for waiting seemed long when, according to promise, Dr. H. was in Washington, with his horse and buggy prepared for duty. The impressions made by Dr. H. on William Penn's mind at his first interview will doubtless be interesting to all concerned, as may be seen in the following letter washington d c november twenty sixth eighteen fifty five my dear sir a recent letter from my friend probably has led you to expect this from me he was delighted to receive yours of the twenty-third stating that the boy was all right he found the professional gentleman a perfect gentleman cool quiet thoughtful, and perfectly competent to execute his undertaking. At the first three minutes of their interview, he felt assured that all would be right. He and all concerned give you and that gentleman sincere thanks for what you have done. May the blessings of him who cares for the poor be on your heads. The especial object of this— is to inform you that there is a half-dozen or so of packages here pressing for transportation. Twice or thrice that number are also pressing, but less so than the others. Their aggregate means will average, say, $10 each. Besides these, we know of a few, say, three or four, able and smart, but utterly destitute, and kept so purposely by their oppressors. For all these we feel deeply interested. Ten dollars each would not be enough for the powder boy. Is there any fund from which a pittance could be spared to help these poor creatures? I don't doubt but that they would honestly repay a small loan as soon as they could earn it. I know full well that if you begin with such cases there is no boundary at which you can stop. For years, one half at least, of my friend's time here has been gratuitously given to cases of distress among this class. He never expects or desires to do less. He literally has the poor always with him. He knows that it is so with you also. Therefore, he only states the case being especially anxious for at least those to whom i have referred i think a small lot of hard coal might always be sold here from the vessel at a profit would not a like lot of cumberland coal always sell in philadelphia my friend would be very glad to see the powder boy here again and if he brings coal there are those here who would try to help himself? reply to your regular correspondent as usual William Penn by the presence of the doctor confidence having been reassured that all would be right as well as by the inner light William Penn experienced a great sense of relief everything having been duly arranged The doctor's horse and carriage stood waiting before the White House. William Penn preferred this place as a starting point, rather than before his own office door. It being understood that Joe was to act as coachman in passing out of Washington, at this moment he was called for, and in the most polite and natural manner, with the fleetness of a young deer, he jumped into the carriage, took the reins and whip, whilst the doctor and william penn were cordially shaking hands and bidding adieu this done the order was given to joe drive on joe bravely obeyed the faithful horse trotted off willingly and the doctor sat in his carriage as composed as though he had succeeded in procuring an honourable and lucrative office from the white house and was returning home to tell his wife the good news The doctor had some knowledge of the roads, also some acquaintances in Maryland, through which state he had to travel. Therefore, after leaving the suburbs of Washington, the doctor took the reins in his own hands, as he felt that he was more experienced as a driver than this young coachman. He was also mindful of the fact that before reaching Pennsylvania his faithful beast would need feeding several times and that they consequently would be obliged to pass one or two nights at least in maryland either at a tavern or farmhouse in reflecting upon the matter it occurred to the doctor that in earlier days he had been quite intimately acquainted with a farmer and his family who were slaveholders in maryland and that he would about reach their house at the end of the first day's journey He concluded that he could do no better than to renew his acquaintance with his old friends on this occasion after a very successful day's travel night came on and the doctor was safely at the farmer's door with his carriage and waiter boy the doctor was readily recognized by the farmer and his family who seemed glad to see him indeed they made quite a fuss over him as a matter of strategy the doctor made quite a fuss over them in return. Nevertheless, he did not fail to assume airs of importance, which were calculated to lead them to think that he had grown older and wiser than when they knew him in his younger days. In casually referring to the manner of his travelling, he alluded to the fact that he was not very well, and as it had been a considerable length of time since he had been through that part of the country. He thought that the drive would do him good and especially the sight of old familiar places and people the farmer and his family felt themselves exceedingly honored by the visit from the distinguished doctor and manifested a marked willingness to spare no pains to render his night's lodging in every way comfortable the doctor being an educated and intelligent gentleman well posted on other questions besides medicine, could freely talk about farming in all its branches and niggers, too, in an emergency. So the evening passed off pleasantly with the doctor in the parlor and Joe in the kitchen. The doctor, however, had given Joe precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, as to how he should act in the presence of master white people or slave colored people, and thus he was prepared to act his part with due exactness. Before the evening grew late, the doctor, fearing some accident, intimated that he was feeling a little languid, and therefore thought he had better retire. Furthermore he added that he was liable to vertigo when not quite well and for this reason he must have his boy joe sleep in the room with him simply give him a bed-quilt and he will fare well enough in one corner of the room said the doctor the proposal was readily acceded to and carried into effect by the accommodating host the doctor was soon in bed sleeping soundly and joe in his new coat and pants wrapped up in the bed-quilt in a corner of the room quite comfortably. The next morning the doctor arose at as early an hour as was prudent for a gentleman of his position, and, feeling refreshed, partook of a good breakfast and was ready, with his boy Joe, to prosecute their journey. Face, eyes, hope, and steps were set as Flint, Pennsylvania word. What time the following day or night they crossed Mason and Dixon's line is not recorded on the Underground Railroad books. But at four o'clock on Thanksgiving Day, the doctor safely landed the fleeing girl of 15 at the residence of the writer in Philadelphia. On delivering up his charge, the doctor simply remarked to the writer's wife, I wish to leave this young lad with you a short while, and I will call and see further about him." Without further explanation, he stepped into his carriage and hurried away, evidently anxious to report himself to his wife, in order to relieve her mind of a great weight of anxiety on his account. The writer, who happened to be absent from home when the doctor called, returned soon afterwards. The doctor has been here, he was the family physician, and left this young lad, and said that he would call again and see about him, said Mrs. S. The young lad was sitting quite composedly in the dining room with his cap on. The writer turned to him and inquired, I suppose you are the person that the doctor went to Washington after, are you not? No said joe where are you from then was the next question from york sir from york why then did the doctor bring you here was the next query the doctor went expressly to washington after a young girl who was to be brought away dressed up as a boy and i took you to be the person without replying the lad arose and walked out of the house The queerist, somewhat mystified, followed him, and then, when the two were alone, the lad said, I am the one the doctor went after. After congratulating her, the writer asked why she had said that she was not from Washington, but from York. She explained that the doctor had strictly charged her not to own to any person except the writer that she was from washington but from york as there were persons present wife hired girl and a fugitive woman when the questions were put to her she felt that it would be a violation of her pledge to answer in the affirmative before this examination neither of the individuals present for a moment entertained the slightest doubt but that she was a lad so well had she acted her part in every particular she was dressed in a white suit which fitted her quite nicely and with her unusual amount of common sense she appeared to be in no respect lacking to send off a prize so rare and remarkable as she was without affording some of the stockholders and managers of the road the pleasure of seeing her Was not to be thought of. In addition to the vigilance committee, quite a number of persons were invited to see her and were greatly astonished. Indeed, it was difficult to realize that she was not a boy, even after becoming acquainted with the facts in the case. End of section thirteen. Recording by L. D. Hamilton.